The three largest providers of mental health care in America aren't in hospitals, they're in jails. According to a 2017 report from the U.S. Department of Justice, about 37% of people in prison have a history of mental health problems. More than 24% have been previously diagnosed with major depressive disorder, 17% with bipolar disorder, 13% with a personality disorder, and 12% with post-traumatic stress disorder. The sad thing is that the numbers are even higher for people in jail, where one-third have been previously diagnosed with major depressive disorder and almost one-quarter with bipolar disorder. Alyssa Roth is a mental health correspondent for Minnesota Public Radio and author of Insane, America's Criminal Treatment of Mental Illness, where she explores prisons all over the country and explains what she saw with the mental health patients there. In 2018, Roth spoke in an interview on National Public Radio for an episode about mental illness in prisons. In the interview, she explained many of the issues that she saw in the prisons, including recognition of mental health in prisoners, punishment, and law enforcement. According to Roth, once people who are mentally ill go behind bars, they can go long periods without any medication. In the jail systems, Roth said, quote, half the people in our jails have a mental illness, end quote. However, she remarks that the statistics in the criminal justice system are very poor and the definition of mental illness is not often clear. In relation to mental health issues that arise when people aren't given the correct amount of medicine or any medicine in some cases, this can lead to violence and intense punishment for the prisoners. Ross explains that the training for a correctional officer is a lot about maintaining control and escalating when prisoners do not comply with their orders. She goes on to explain how this is a whole different scenario for someone mentally ill. For a person with mental illness, particularly one who's paranoid, um, this is absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying for anybody. It's intended to be frightening. But for a person with mental illness, it's incomprehensibly terrifying. And so the result is often that the person with mental illness responds in exactly the opposite fashion, so by lashing out or fighting back. Um, And this leads to this cycle of escalation where really what you want to be having is is de-escalation. Roth also explains what the punishment is for prisoners who do not correctly obey orders or act out. In extreme cases, prisoners are sent to solitary confinement. Roth speaks on what this does to people with mental health issues when people can't follow the rules either because they don't understand them or because their paranoia makes them think that following the rules is going to get them hurt, the punishment is solitary confinement, which basically means being shut in a windowless room by yourself 23 hours a day. Um, And it can make people who are sane completely mentally ill. But for somebody with mental illness, it's absolutely devastating. Roth also describes in other cases what happens when prisoners are caught in a suicide attempt or self-harm. One of the other things that we see often is that somebody will try to hurt themselves, either an actual suicide attempt or a cutting, you know, a self-harm incident, as they're called. Um, And then people will be punished for trying to commit suicide or for trying to cut themselves. And in this sort of irony of ironies, You know, some states or counties have passed rules who say, okay, um, this person has mental illness. The cutting is a symptom of the mental illness. So we're not going to punish that behavior. 
but then they'll be punished for something like possession of a weapon if they used a, a razor blade or a pencil to cut themselves. Or they'll be punished for destruction of state property for tearing a sheet to tie it into a noose. In terms of therapy in jails and prisons, Roth argues that there is not enough consistency or privacy for prisoners to get the care that they need, especially for mentally ill prisoners. Even more detrimental to the to the, the therapy in, in jails and prisons is the lack of intimacy, the lack of, you know, intimacy in the sense of a, of a private space to talk, the lack of consistency. So people often talk about, you know, yes, I see the psychiatrist, but I never see the same psychiatrist twice. Um, sometimes the quote unquote therapy is done through a cell door. So these are thick metal doors um, that you yell through or you talk through the food slot or these little tiny holes in the door with cells on either side. So it's not just that you're yelling through a metal door, but you're yelling through a metal door so that the entire tier can hear everything that you're saying. When thinking of the issues presented with mental illness in prisons, Roth emphasizes the importance of being aware of the conditions that prisoners endure and overall what goes on in these prisons and jails, not just to people with mental illness, but everyone. And I think this is part of the problem that so many of us have no understanding, even though it's our tax dollars that are funding all of this, we have no idea what's going on in these places, um, even in the general population, let alone what we're doing with people who have mental illness who are in these sort of jails within the jails. This is part two of a jail within a jail, mental health care in jails and prisons. Jim Bowe is a licensed clinical social worker that works specifically in Monroe and Lawrence County jails with mentally ill patients. He says primarily the work he does involves suicide risk assessments, mental health checkups, and informed trauma care. However, there is a lot that requires help by Bowe outside these areas. Bowe says, quote, it's a variety of things I do, but it's all related to mental health. End quote. As someone who works with people with mental illnesses and are incarcerated, Bo explains the process of getting medicine to the inmates. Well, with respect to mental health, I mean, it's a variety of things. If they come to the jail and they uh, report that they are prescribed medication by a physician or by a prescriber, then we do a, you know, a complete assessment with them. And then we will ask them to sign a release of information, and we will contact their prescriber or prescribing agency and ask uh, for medical records uh, to confirm that. And we will often, uh, if they will allow us, uh, they will tell us the pharmacy that they use. We'll call the pharmacy to confirm. And, you know, if it's a legitimate prescriber and they're really on medications, then there's usually not much of a wait period at all to get them started again on their prescribed medications. Bo also explains issues presented when people need medicine but have been, quote, self-medicating, end quote. This can include more intensive research and assessment before prescribing patients for their needs. Uh, there are definitely inmates that come in here who are not on medication that has been on medication in the past and they may have stopped taking for two or three years because they're what we call self-medicating, they're using drugs, a lot of meth, a lot of heroin, you know, a lot of prescription medications, 
you know, they, they could be have schizophrenia, bipolar, et cetera, schizoaffective disorder. So they may, you know, be living on the street with no insurance. They don't have a prescriber. So they use as a way to self-medicate. We often see inmates who are not currently prescribed medications and will start them on medications uh, if they meet criteria. They, you know, that's where I get involved. I have to do a mental health assessment. And then I meet with medical staff and uh, document, and we meet in team, uh, meet with the, the medical doctor that, that's here, that comes here. And if it's urgent enough, we'll just call him and tell him what we're seeing and, and you know, discuss the signs and symptoms of what we're seeing and describe the criteria, you know, to meet a certain diagnosis. If they're in a, you know, a manic attack or if they're actively hallucinating or et cetera, then it's not uncommon that we will start them on that. As a full-time mental health worker in the jail, Bo explains the amount of help that is needed when working with mental health patients, especially recently, as he states, quote, jails have become mental health facilities, end quote, highlighting the various needs that are required to be met in jails for the people coming in. Yeah, we have a, a complete medical team in here. I mean, I'm here full-time. We have three full-time nurses. We have a medical doctor. We have a psychiatric nurse practitioner that's going to be coming on board soon. So, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's, uh, you know, jails have become mental health facilities. You get a little bit of everything in jails now. I mean, you get mental health, you get oncology, you get postpartum, you get uh, people that have come here and had surgeries. We get people in here for incontinent. We get, I mean, jails have evolved into uh, places now it's, uh, where they they require medical attention. You know, we have dental care. You know, we have medical care. We have mental health. A lot of things going on in jails now. As Roth explained in her studies, officer training has been a concern for correctional officers, specifically because of the amount of time and detail it takes to give them information on how to deal with patients. Bose stated that fortunately there has been an increase in training with mental health care in jails. Bo explains his work that has been done with their orientation program by meeting with the officers on mental health training and mental health first aid. Yeah, they've actually increased training. Uh, they have now, they're doing what we call mental health first aid uh, with all the officers, uh, mostly where they can triage prior to a qualified mental health professional. You know, if they're reporting suicide or an inmate receives news that they've lost a family member or Perhaps they've received a letter that they're going to get divorced or their loved one is divorcing them. We, yeah, you know, now part of their orientation onboarding packages, I meet with them and do uh, mental health training as well. The funding that was given for the jail systems of Monroe County is much appreciated, according to Bo. He states that the money will help increase nurse practitioners for mental health care and, quote, increase safety for both inmates and staff, end quote. Yeah, and it's uh, we're just all thrilled about this. That you know, they're you know, Monroe County being a very progressive, and everybody from the commissioners to the county council to the sheriff to the judges to the prosecutors to the public defenders, everyone seems unanimously to be on board. But you know, want to do the right thing to uh, reduce recidivism, um, get them the help they need, you know, increase safety for inmates and staff as well. It's uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're in some big steps here at Monroe County Correctional Center. When looking at the issue of mental health care in jails and prisons today, Bo explains that education is needed by the public. 
He says that this issue is viewed residually, where the focus is on the need for helping the people that need help right away, and making sure that improvement can be seen when patients are ready to leave the facilities. You know, people need to be educated on what's going on in jails now. Uh, the public needs to be educated. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's people out there that think that that may not be such a good use of taxpayers' money. However, this is more of a residual approach versus institutional approach. I mean, it's trying to make sure the inmates are, are leaving this facility. We call patients. The patients' inmates are leaving jail in a better condition than when they arrive and hopefully get them pointed in the right direction as far as follow-up services. Bo expresses his thoughts on working with the facilities in Monroe and Lawrence County and working with the patients. Yeah, it's a great facility to be part of. They all seem to be uh, unanimously want to do the right thing and, and get them the help they need. He also explains the importance of having programs such as problem-solving courts and other transitional programs that give people a way to deal with issues such as drug abuse and mental illness. Bo says that this approach is a great way to gradually transition jail inmates back into society. Well, problem-solving court is it's an alternative to prison. They have what they call drug courts, mental health courts, veterans courts, and they have a team that meets you know every day of the week. Uh, Judge Dukoff resides over all the problem-solving courts. There's a real uh, mental health component in all of that. They get them on the right medications. They uh, work closely with Centerstone, uh, probation, public defenders, the judges. Because some people that are, you know, come in here are better helped by these programs than they are sending them to prison for a long sentence. And it's it's a great way to save money and help them to reintegrate them back into society. You know, help them to learn to be more productive and uh, et cetera. So. Yeah, Monroe County Correctional Center, they I mean, they have GED, they've got New Leaf, New Life, they have a program called New Beginnings, they allow them to take writing courses, we have literacy uh, programs going on. So it's, um, it's a model uh, program, and our jail commander is very on board with trying to stay ahead of, you know, of what, what's going on. So. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner.